two, one. Fragments of Silicon, the greatest thing since printed circuits. And welcome to another installment of uh, Fragments of Silicon Alpha episode. Um, yeah, we had a European interview yesterday, so hence the designation. Anyway, joining me as always is the full crew. Um, Ogre. That flare is amazing, and I love it. Um, Petty fan. Yo. Alex. Hi. And Twilight. Hello. Alright, so onwards to the news. Let's see. Alex, why don't you start the proceedings off this week? Um, well, we're, work has continued to be um, a little bit weird. Uh, we got more stuff um, figured out than I did last week, so that's good. Um, so, and I have had a little bit more time because I'm working less hours, which is good until my paycheck starts coming smaller because of that, but we'll deal with that when it comes. Um, so I've had a little bit more time for games, which is good because uh, Shovel Knight uh, Spectre of Torment just came out and that's really good and I've been playing that a lot in addition to still playing a bit of Breath of the Wild and trying to find time for the games for review. Um, which is a big one this week, so I'm planning on starting that a little bit later. Oh, uh, after the show. Big one. Yeah. Like, that, that, that's um, underselling it a bit. Oh no, I, I had no illusions about ever finishing a Planescape game for review oh. in in like a week. I it would take me. I'm not the kind of person who usually sits down and runs all the way through a game and completes it in one thing. This is a kind of game that I would expect to take years to a year to finish if I was playing normally. It depends. I mean, like going through, I, I think just going through it is about 20 to 30 hours. It's actually a bit on the short side in that regard. But okay, it's well, like, then maybe it's not as long as I thought, but still. I'm like, uh, but um, that's if you're rushing through it. I'm like, if you're actually trying to experience the game, oh, this will take you a fucking long time. It's like, I've played about eight hours, and I'm like, I, I, I'm i only like halfway through exploring the hive. Yeah, I usually am the kind of person who takes time while playing, so. Yeah, it's like, I, like I've, you know, I've actually played and beaten this game. I can tell you, it will tell you, it will take you a damn long time. Especially depending on what character you play, but I think I'll save that for the review. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently, anyway. just be careful about those random text boxes. I hear they enrage people. What's that? Someone's on a train? Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, sorry, I'll mute it. <laughs> no, it's okay. I always right. forget that that uh, cruises by. All right, um, anything else? 
Um, I think that's all. Okay. Um, Petty Fan, you're up. Oh, not a whole lot's been going on here. Not looking forward, so looking forward to the fact I need knee surgery, but not a whole lot I can do about that. It's either knee surgery now or knee replacement in like 10 to 15 years. Yeah, let's go with the surgery now. <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming replacement's going to be way longer and involve rehabilitation. Well, I'm still going to need um, physical therapy either way, but the problem is my insurance doesn't cover it. It'll pay for me to have the surgery, but it won't pay for the physical therapy. How much physical therapy would that require? Um, I minimum six weeks, and the cheapest I found in town is like forty dollars a visit. So that's a lot of money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so yeah. I don't know what we're gonna do on that front. Well, um, why is your insurance not paying for it? They just don't cover physical therapy. I don't know why. Mm. Like, it feels like a drop ball for that whole thing. Yeah, like, they would cover rehabilitative servers if I had, like, a traumatic brain injury, but that's about the only thing. Because weird. So, what I'm getting at is your insurance is literally telling you to walk it off. <laughs> yes. Sounds like it. That's unfortunate. Like... But yeah, we'll, I guess we'll figure it out when we figure it out. And, <laughs> you know, there's not a whole lot yep. I can do about that now. No. Um, other than that, you know, working on games for the show. Well, not this week. Well, uh, I've like... been kind of working on next week's game when I have the time. Well, yeah. Well, it's like, it's either that or, you know, like, we, we only got two codes for this week's game. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I do only not have the time to do the Planescape Tournament. Good God. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like, only one game this week because I'm not putting another game up against Planescape Tournament. Like, <laughs> a, a, a Why do you CRPG. go slowly insane? No, it's like, uh, if it was going to be something, it would be like what, the game we just got, like, Literally a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. It's like something really short, and, you know, arcadey. Mm -hmm. That I could fit in. Also, apparently my mom's brand new car, her transmission blew out in it. Luckily, um, warranty is going to fix that, but she's currently without a vehicle, so like, that's been fun. Like, do we need the the theme song? <laughs> Probably. Like, um, man, I forget most of the lyrics, so it'll come back to you. It always will. <laughs> uh, outside of that, not a whole lot. Next body up to the chopping block. Hmm. Hmm. I think that's Twilight. Anyway, uh, I guess I'll go ahead. Uh, not a whole lot has actually been going on this week. Um, the new cat that we had then decided to move on to somewhere else, unfortunately, or if you know how you look at it. And the weather been just pleasant. went outside one day and didn't come back. Uh, we don't keep animals inside. All of our uh, pets have been outdoors. My mom doesn't like uh, animal fur being on stuff. 
out. Fair enough. Yeah. Otherwise, um, just been playing games. I've also taken a look at next week's two games. Uh, I'll see on that when the time comes. That'll be it. <laughs> Ogre. Yep, I guess it's my turn. Uh, let's see. Recording keeps going along. I think we're over the worst of color splash. It was just that one level. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, the ship level. Uh, oh, the one you just about finished? Yeah, the Violet Passage one. Yeah. That's, uh... Well, it you're closing in on, like, some actual progression here. Yeah, we're... We're getting close to... We're, we're pretty much getting to that point where the game is running out of stuff to distract us with and going straight into the, up. Oh, you gotta finish all the bosses off now. <laughs> <sighs> but other than that, not much is going on. I got a new pair of glasses today with a new prescription. And that's been fun dealing with. It's kind of exhausted making my eyes getting used to everything. Mm. But, uh... Yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm apparently having a better week than Petty Fan. <laughs> Everyone's having though a better week than me. Though, though, apparently, that is not a high bar to pass every week, so... <laughs> Are you dead? You're... <laughs> then you're not having a worse week than me. I, I think the only one ones I had worse was when I was out with uh, after my dental surgery, but I'm pretty sure even then you had something to top that. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, trying to think of it, not much else this week, so... Adam? Uh, right. Uh, let's see. Well, there's actually been a lot going on with... Not... Uh, not so much this show, but um, MSP. Like, um, I, I think I mentioned it at the end of uh, uh, Sunday's reviews, but we're looking to get a new hire for that program. Like, a new female co-host. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, and uh, auditions are starting on Friday. Like, oh boy! Yeah, it's like uh, prospect in mind. Um, honestly, we've never done something like this before. Yeah, like, I just kind of wandered in one day. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's always been a lot more ad hoc on this uh, enterprise than yeah. um, before. <laughs> you know, n not just with like pretty much everyone. Yeah. You know, just kind uh -huh. kind of entered the orbit at one point or another. That includes the you know the people who no longer work here, or on MSP. Like, you know, it's like, like the last female co-host we had on was like, geez, season two, something like that, like a long time ago. Uh, you know. So, we'll see. And also, um, in another departure, we're looking for somebody a bit a bit more professional like with actual radio experience and everything I don't know that sounds like it could be trouble yeah <laughs> have you seen how unprofessional our show is like 
which show? Like, yes. this one's actually, it's like, <laughs> I'm like, in all honesty, this show's actually pretty damn professional. Well, yeah. Yeah, Adam kind of mm-hmm. goes out of his way to make sure we're in a professional way. Yeah, I, I was mostly kidding anyway. Yeah, I was about to say something, about, something about, crack the whip. If it's about MSP, people then, making us look yeah. bad. If it's MSP, then yeah, we're kind of like, <laughs> Oh, we have a show today? I th- we well we should have a show today. Yeah. I haven't heard anything about a cancellation. Like, um, you know, it's like that. You know, that's kind of the big thing going on right there. Um, also, looking into various um, uh, what uh, what's the best way to frame this? Like business plan or you know monetization. I like you know, that what one. have you. you know, it's like you know, like for this show, um, we're aiming for the Twitch affiliate program. You know, it's like. We pretty much check all the boxes except for subscriber count, and we're not that far away from it. Yeah, we just need 20 more followers, and we can be considered. Yeah, mind you, this is just for eligibility. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's why I said considered. Uh, It should be noted, you know, this channel is pretty young, actually. Um, Like, how long have we been doing this on Twitch? Uh, Less than four months. I just started, and we just started it in January. Yeah, so I, I suppose um, I, I'm not sure how well that works growth-wise, but you know, I mean that's actually kind of the point behind the um, Twitch affiliate thing. It's it, it looks like it's kind of for people who are either like part time or just start, starting out, and you know, in Twitch terms, that's us. Like you know, the. The, you know the you know the show's been going on for three years, but you know, in Twitch terms, only four months. So, yeah. you know, we'll see what happens there. Um, yeah. you know, still dealing with personal family issues. Um, they are what they are. You know, I'm just glad they are not close. But um, and I think that's about it for the news this week. And therefore, merrily, we shall roll along to the interview portion of our broadcast this evening. And um, it's our grand pleasure to welcome Benedict Fritz of A-E-I-O-Woo. Hey. Hey. Yeah. So we finally figured out how to pronounce that name. (laughs) It clearly wasn't just before we went live. You have no proof of this. (laughs) Like, anyway, um, so we'd like to get started by getting to know the person behind, you know, the game, the company, the whatever, and we'd like to start by asking, what got you interested in video games in the first place? Sure, um, you know, like many people, I think it's kind of always been something I have been interested in. Um, I think it is a little different in that when I was a kid, I wasn't really allowed to play video games or my parents just wouldn't get me video games um and then the way that i kind of finally started playing them more free like it was kind of a thing where i'd go to a friend's house and i'd watch them play or i'd play at a friend's house you know i just love it and then uh eventually i found the only work that a 13 year old can find which is which was ended up being delivering telephone books in my hometown so i walked around my hometown with a radio flyer cart and uh 
delivered some telephone books and made enough money to buy a used N64 and a uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. And uh, so, yeah, it was kind of like when I was a kid, you know, it was, it was honestly a lot of just like thinking about games and reading about games and, you know, also playing them at friends' places, but mostly kind of like imagining them in my head. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of something that just stuck with me. Uh, I went to school for computer science and about three years into it, I was like, oh, wait, I've kind of learned the things that I need to you know, try making a game. And so I started making these really small little web games uh, in Flash, back when Flash was like the tool to use for indie games. Uh, so this was kind of before Unity came in and kind of became the de facto tool. This was back when like Flashpunk and Flixel and all these other kind of Flash tools and Flash portals were really uh, at their height before, you know, all of the different things conspired together to kind of, you know, end Flash. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my start, just making a lot of small free web games and then slowly and slowly kind of growing it up in scale each time I made a game doing something a little bit bigger. And now it's been two and a half years, over two and a half years that we've been working on Tumbleseed. Um, and it's by far and away the largest project that I've ever worked on. And um, yeah, it, it's been a really interesting process going from these tiny little free games in 2011 to now, six years later, 2017, uh, releasing a really big game uh, on not only PC, but also consoles. Indeed, and um, like, were you aware of the transition or was like Tumbleseed supposed to be another small project that um, just grew and grew? Uh, it was definitely not supposed to be this big. Uh, originally, it was a thing where we were like, okay, this will take maybe five, six months. Um, so I made the first prototype in September, late September, early October of 2014, and uh, showed it to Greg, uh, who's the artist on the project. And, you know, it was going to be like a small, it was actually originally, it was originally going to be a mobile game. It was going to be small, and we were shooting to release it early 2015. Um, but then we never really got quite happy with it. We felt it, it wasn't good enough. Uh, you know, it was one of those things where we'd make something and then after a little while, we just kind of like stopped playing it ourselves. And that was kind of always our barometer of like, are we still playing this game ourselves? And if not, then it's probably not good enough. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of was a thing where then we just went down this deep hole of trying to figure out how to take this kind of very simple toy that we had and kind of make it into a full game. Well, it sounds like it took you a, a measure of time. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, uh, you know, and throughout that process, it was not kind of a singular game that we were working on. It was kind of all these different prototypes and all these different directions. And at one point it was kind of like a Zelda style dungeon crawler. At another point it was some kind of like an action arcade, uh, game where you're actually like tossing a ball around this arena. Another point, it was uh, more kind of like a Dark Souls style, like weapon progression, uh, returning to bonfires kind of thing. So it took a lot of different directions. Um, but the game as it exists now kind of started really solidifying maybe, mm, maybe just over a year ago would be kind of my guess. Hmm. And uh, as I understand it, this is based off of a um, an arcade game called Ice Cold Beer. Yep, you got it. Uh, yeah, it's based. It's this really weird arcade game. It kind of had this has this cult following uh, called Ice Cold Beer, like you mentioned. And we discovered at at this arcade uh, near where we lived in Chicago, 
And uh, it's this game where you're balancing a marble on this telescoping metal rod, and you're controlling either side of this uh, telescoping rod to kind of have this marble roll back and forth. And you're pushing this marble up this wall that has holes in it. And you're trying to get into specific holes that are kind of like the targets, and you're trying to avoid all the other holes. And it was just this really fun game, and it was so simple and so beautiful that kind of wonder, you know, why hasn't anyone made a digital adaptation of this kind of gameplay that's kind of, is really interesting and has kind of like a lot of things that come out of it that are like really kind of fun and yeah, unique and just, it's a beautiful toy. So the real battle was turning that toy into a game. Yeah, I don't think I've played that specific um, version, but I have played like um, kind of the horizontal version, like... Mm. Where like a labyrinth? Yeah, where you go through the maze with the with the ball and the, the holes. Totally, yep. Yeah. yeah, that's a big reference point for a lot of people. Like, It's, it's interesting because, yeah, people have all these different reference points, and that's definitely uh, a big one. It's, you know, marbles are kind of this thing that there are a lot of different, like, little games that come out of marbles. And a lot of people, most people have some kind of association, association with marbles and a game that they play with marbles. And so it's nice because a lot of times people have that kind of like, you know, starting point for looking at and understanding Tumbleseed. Yeah. Admittedly, um, even oh, I can think of quite a few games that start with mar uh, start with mar star marbles. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anything quite like Tumbleseed. Like <laughs> yeah. Right, you got like the marble madness. You got the like the super monkey ball. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you you've got your uh, like Cora Rin pause and um, mm. Mercury meltdown. If anyone remembers that, yeah. and so on and so forth. But you know, it's like it's always been like either like horizontal aligned mm. or um, you know, three D. But I've mm -hmm. never seen it done like vertical like this. Yeah. Yeah, and that's definitely like where that ice cold beer inspiration came from is kind of like that's the first time that we've you know also seen uh someone do that vertical approach to a marble game because it is pretty counterintuitive and kind of very weird and it's a it's it's a thing where before the art was really done a lot of people were like wait so what's the perspective here <laughs> indeed like in fact on the show we were trying to figure out what how to classify this because mm -hmm. you know uh, you know, we see it, it's a, um, and for those who don't know, this is actually, this is also a, um, roguelike. Right. Now, um, but, you know, we, you know, it's like, we've never, you know, we've never seen a roguelike like this. Yeah, it's definitely a struggle of ours to, you know, describe it efficiently or describe it, you know, the most efficient descriptions are often like, you know, using terms or kind of, uh, you know, established genre conventions or that kind of thing. And that's kind of why we lean on the roguelike thing a bit. It's like, okay, people understand that. It's a procedurally generated world. There's strategy elements. You're making decisions between things. Uh, you know, there's permadeath. So you're starting at the bottom every time. It's kind of this, uh, you know, this this hike that you're making from beginning to end, and you got to do it in one go. And all of the things that you do in that one trip kind of add up to, you know, create a story and kind of determine what happens in that trip. Uh, and so that's kind of the thing that people, you know, often latch onto the most just because it's so weird to describe that it's, you can't really describe it really like quickly. <laughs> but the gameplay mechanics are very different from traditional roguelikes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's one of those things where like, 
you know, it, and a lot of people take issue with how we use the term, and I totally understand. Uh, it's definitely like this struggle of if we didn't call it a roguelike, the number of people who would get it or like who would even have any conception of, you know, what is happening or what even the goal is would drop even further. And so it's kind of one of those things where, you know, uh, it, we, we lose some people, uh, but we also gain a lot of people and kind of get a, get a lot of people to understand where this game is coming from and what, you know, it's trying to do and, uh, you know, what you even do in the game. Hmm. Yeah, we've had our own struggles with the whole roguelike, roguelite, roguelite, like. Yeah. Right, and, like, we even, like, took some, like, Twitter polls at the time. We are like, all right, like, what do you call this? And then, it, there, you know, there are so many options, and in the end, they all have their problems. And it's like, okay, well, it, you know, if that's the case, we might as well go with the one that most people even know is a term or know what it implies, even if that implication is kind of a definition that has kind of morphed over time and kind of drifted from what uh, it originally meant. Mm. Well, yeah, it used to be pretty straightforward. You know, it was like Rogue in some right. regard, you know. But, yeah, believe me, we, uh, this isn't the first um, <laughs> odd um, interpretation of the genre we've ever seen on this show. Cool. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, that, um, that shooter that um, came out a few years ago. Um, Heavy Bullets? No, no, I'm not. Sorry, uh, like a galaxy. Mm, yep. You know, because that that's a roguelike and it's a spaceship shooter. Yep. Now, and so on and so forth. Now, uh, totally. Yeah. And it's 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 also a yeah, it's 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 also just a genre that fits independent development very well. Um just because, you know, when you're generating stuff and you kind of have different elements that interact with each other, that just creates a lot of, you know, interesting things that happen and a lot of kind of, you know, a lot of interest that is hard to replicate in terms of like the man hours needed to create it with kind of hard set levels. Hmm. Yeah, I'm like, I've, I've... roguelikes are probably the second or third most common genre we see on the show. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, um, yeah, it's a really good entry-level, like, uh, genre, but, like, right next to the 2D platformer. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting also just because, you know, when we started two and a half years ago, that was totally not the case. Um, and it's kind of like a thing that, when we started, there were barely any, or there were very few, you know, this was like, you know, it was like Spelunky was kind of like, this was like around the time when Spelunky started really kind of, uh, you know, entering the mind, or kind of like, yeah, entering the minds of a lot of designers and kind of being like, oh, wow, like, this does so much with, you know, not that much, that not that many elements, and it's so interesting, and it's so continuously compelling to play. Um, so yeah, it's been an interesting also just like challenge of like, oh, like all of a sudden this is kind of like a played out genre to a certain extent. And we now have to kind of like contend with that. Um, I think the good thing that we <laughs> that we do have going is that it's so bizarre and so different uh, that a lot of people who even are burned out on the genre uh, 
often kind of are like, oh, you know, this is kind of different. Like, this is something that, you know, kind of is fresh enough that I will kind of get over my exhaustion of the genre to check it out. Yeah, it's an interesting um, side effect of ubiquity. Yep. Because, um, because the you know, because there's so many entries in a particular genre, you kind of, you know, you kind of have to vary the game up in some fashion mm-hmm. or else you're not really going to st- uh, stick out. Oh, totally, because then you reach this point where it's like, well, why would I play this when I can play this? Or like, why would I play this if I've already played this other game for this many hours? Yeah, that came up in a roguelike we reviewed recently that mm-hmm. was pretty bog standard in terms of design. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just like... Uh, and I was just like, you know, this doesn't stand out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I, hell, I, I, you know, it's like if you're looking for, a, like, if you're looking for a good bog standard roguelike, um, mm-hmm. Pixel Boy and his ever expanding dungeon is what I'd recommend. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, for example. Um, but uh, anyway, so shifting gears a bit here, where did the, um, what is a tumble seed exactly? Sure. Uh, tumble seed is what we kind of call the little seed that you're rolling back and forth on the vine. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of like, you know, this character of the seed that's kind of being haphazardly dragged around by this vine. And uh, yeah, it's kind of just like a name that, uh, you know, naming things is so hard. And we tried so many different names. And in the end, like, tumble seed just captured, you know, kind of like the essence of the game. You know, you're this seed and you're tumbling around and it just rolled off the tongue and it kind of has that pun thing with tumbleweed going. And yeah, it just felt very natural. And so then in the end, we ended up calling the little guy that you're rolling around tumble seed or TS for short. That's kind of the origin of that. Right. And I noticed you use the words like story and character, which um, suggests to me that there's going to be a story mode in this game. Oh, it's it's got story. That surprised me when I saw some of the uh, actual play of it. I was expecting it to be just a, uh, you know, little thing, but it looks like there's actually quite a bit of story dealing going on. Yeah, it's one of those things that we all really like in games, and, you know, it's something that we wish, you know, you kind of make the game that you want to see, and so uh, it was one of those things where we want this game to exist in a world and we want the world to be interesting and we want it to have a history and we want it to have kind of sense of, you know, place and sense of purpose. And so it's kind of a thing that has always kind of grown with the game as the story of the game. And it's something that we don't really kind of, you know, put on like, we kind of like, you know, we don't, we don't like kind of bang you over the head with it, but if you're interested, you know, there's enough dialogue and things happening and, little things that you can kind of put together that'll kind of, you know, slowly kind of, you can kind of piece together what's happening in the world by, you know, just exploring and paying attention and talking to some seeds. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that we wish the genre had a bit more of. And so, you know, what better opportunity to, you know, change a genre to a way that you'd like it to be than to make your own game. Uh, I've heard competing arguments on this, you know, on this kind of thing, not necessarily with your, your game, but when it comes to, like, say, puzzle games. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, because there have been puzzle games, hell, like, like um, uh, there have been franchises um, that uh, ha- have entries that have story, like um, Tetris 
Worlds, I think, had a story. Mm. And, you know, I, I've certainly seen people go, you know, like, why does Tetris ha- need mm. to have a story? You know, why does any puzzle game need to have a story? Yeah. And, yeah, and it's... I, and well, I everyone knows why... the story of Tetris is the history of the Soviet Union. <laughs> and I think that's why we, you know, are very purposeful about not making it a mandatory thing. Like, in the tutorial, maybe there's a little bit of, like, okay, we need to teach you some stuff, and we kind of, like, you know, give it some lore flavor when we teach you these things. Um, but outside of that, it's completely optional. And, you know, once you get out of the tutorial, you don't have to really talk to anyone ever again. You kind of just, like, play the game, and if you want to just be there for the mechanical gameplay of it, yeah, it's there for you. Well... Was it difficult coming up for a story for Tumble Seed here? Um, I think the harder part was uh, coming up with a theme that kind of like fits. Because, um, you know, it's a very weird, you know, like balancing something and having a thing roll back and forth. You know, like, what metaphor does that evoke? Not many. And so we had, like, this phase where we, like, wrote down everything that's round and could possibly roll, and we're like, all right, is it a tire? Hmm. Is it a donut? Hmm. Is it, like, a vinyl record? Hmm. Is it, uh, you know, you know, like, what are all the round things in the world, and can we possibly, you know, make a game where you're rolling it and have it make sense and have it be kind of a theme that can be, uh, you know, built out enough to have a full game with different enemies, and different biomes and all that stuff. So the one theme that did get kind of built out more, actually there were a couple. Um, the first was uh, that you were, the vine or like this bar that you're kind of controlling was controlled by aliens who were stealing a rock from the center of the earth. And that took a bunch of different iterations, but that was actually one where we actually had art for that. And, uh, it was something that we actually built out a bit. Um, but once we kind of landed on, okay, you're a seed, you know, and seeds are something where there's a lot of different kinds of seeds and they're very flexible in terms of like, you know, you can imagine, you know, you can make a seed look kind of funky and with a little bit of stretching of the imagination, you're like, okay, I can accept that that's a seed. Um, and then once we had that, it's kind of like, okay, like where do seeds live? What is the thing where you're moving upward? And it's like, oh, a mountain. Um, and then all these things kind of like logically kind of, grew from that base. And so a lot of the process was just like, the hardest parts of the process were definitely like figuring out what that base is in the first place so that we have some kind of constraint that we can kind of base everything else around. Hmm. And what did you do in terms of, I, I, I don't know if this is the right word for it, but um, Tumbleseed lore? Mm-hmm. You know, like, is there a uh, Tumbleseed Lord? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a story behind the world and why things exist and the relationship between them. And it's one of those things where, you know, we have it written out in, like, extreme detail somewhere. But the to the extent to which someone who is not us could piece it together is not as high. But it helps to have something that is that concrete and explicit behind the thing so that... You know, then it's like, oh, well, how does this work? And it's like, well, let's think about the world and let's think about the lore and, like, what makes sense in this world. And once you have that kind of, again, that kind of, like, foundational framework, uh, thing kind of just start falling into place because you understand the world and you understand its motivations and, uh, you know, every situation can kind of be then filtered through that uh, framework. Right. And um, shifting back to the gameplay... 
uh, now in, um, does this game feature like a perma upgrade system? Uh, so in the tutorial, you basically work your way through gaining the four core seed powers. Um, and so right now uh, you have three of the four. Uh, so the one that you're wearing right now is the crystal seed. You plant that uh, three times and you get some crystals out. There's also the flag seed, which plants that checkpoint. And that's where you return out of when you fall into a hole. Um, then there's the uh, thorn seed. And that's the one where you get those little thorns that spin around you that you can use to attack enemies or break things. Uh, and then the last core seed that you'll get once you're above this section is the heart seed. And you plant that four times to get another heart. But outside of those four kind of core elemental uh, you know, powers, everything else is per run. And so as you're making your way up the mountain, you then get these different opportunities to choose between different seed powers. There's 30 in the game. Uh, you get to choose between them. Uh, you know, Do I want uh, a seed power that calls in a rain cloud to fill in holes with rainwater? Do I want one that, you know, gives me a laser so I can attack enemies? Do I want one that makes me invisible so I can, you know, run away from enemies that are chasing you? And so that's where a lot of this kind of core of the strategy and the depth and the kind of interesting decision-making comes from the game is through that seed power system. But out of the, out of the seed powers, I, th I think this is what we're getting at is... Are there seed powers that you can't unlock, like on your first run? That on your on your first run, if you do a certain thing, then you'll like unlock the ability to get new seed powers uh, on later runs. Because a lot of a lot of right, like um, a rogue legacy style kind of thing. Yeah, a lot of modern roguelike games do that as a yeah. sort of incentive to keep playing yeah. and feeling of progression, and also as a thing to so that you feel like even when you lose, you didn't lose everything. Right. Um, we strayed away from that. Uh, the big reason was that so basically there's a you know there's a pool of seed powers and the full pool is pulled from from the get go, and for the entire time that you play, uh, and the main motivation behind that was sometimes I, those systems can feel a bit grindy to me, and um, we found that whenever we add something to Tumble Seed that takes the focus away from making the player realize that they have to get better. Um, players get discouraged and feel that the game is unfair. I mean, people feel that already. And so, you know, we want to kind of be as upfront with players as possible. You know, I kind of struggled with that sometimes, like in Rogue Legacy. Sometimes I would just have to like sit back and be like, hmm, is this because I have, I don't have the right upgrades or is this because I'm actually not playing well? And that was the kind of like question that we wanted to avoid having players ask themselves. And that's also kind of like a um, thing where we like the idea of having, being able to have a friend come over who's better at the game or have someone who's more experienced and you kind of sit down at your copy and like show you like, oh yeah, all the tools are here. You just need to practice a bit more. So because it's a more skill-based game? Yeah, or, you know, uh, it's a game that is unusual and so as soon as we make anything not be purely about the skill, then people think that the game is treating them unfairly because they're waiting for the game to get easier and the game isn't going to get easier. Fair enough. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm sure there are different approaches for different games. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, you know, there are games where that system works magically, like Rogue Legacy included. Like, I think, you know, it works fantastically well in a lot of instances for that game. Uh, but there are different, definite drawbacks, just as there are uh, drawbacks to not having that system at all and kind of, you know, being kind of 
you know, being kind of like firm with the player of like, well, you're just going to have to keep, you know, kind of running up against this wall and slowly learning the nooks and crannies so that you can slowly climb up it. Right. And now you've been um, this game is coming to the PC, the Xbox One, the PlayStation 4, and the Nintendo Switch, correct? Uh, not the Xbox One, but yeah, oh. PlayStation, uh, PlayStation Switch, and PC and Mac. But yeah, <laughs> I suppose the the first question is why is there's no uh, why is there uh, no Xbox One version? The largest reason is just that we're a very small team. Uh, there's two programmers on the team, and <laughs> to be honest, we've learned that three platforms from the get-go might have been a little overambitious to begin with, so it's really mostly just a matter of uh, there's a lot of work that it takes getting a game onto a platform, and we're kind of like <laughs> drowning already in uh, the work of getting it onto three platforms, so, and you know, it's nothing against... Uh, we have nothing against the Xbox at all. It's just a matter of like, oh, you know, it's, you know, the consoles that we have, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of something that just happened like that. So we're definitely not ruling it out for the future. It's purely a matter of small team size and kind of having to pick our battles. Gotcha. And I'm, I'm assuming you're handling all versions in-house? Incorrect, yeah. Yeah. And, um, well, uh, how big is your team? Uh, so it's a team of five, um, and it's me and uh, so in the beginning it was me and Greg. I was doing the programming and Greg was doing the art. Uh, then maybe I don't even know when. Maybe a year in, uh, Joel Korowitz joined us uh, to do music and sound. Then uh, maybe half a year after that, uh, Jenna Blazevich joined us to do uh, some lettering and identity work. So like the logo, that's her work. Um, and then shortly after that, we had David Lasky join us, and he is the second programmer on the team, and he's handled all the porting and all of the platform work, making it work across all the different platforms, as well as to, you know, uh, general game programming help. Um, so, yep, th those are the five. And then when our friend Bryce Pulse also does some QA help with us. But, yeah, so it's a team of five. It's extremely small, and uh, that informs a lot of things about the game. I'm like... I'm like, yeah, that's fairly, I'm like, it's bigger than sometimes we've encountered, but definitely a lot smaller than others. Totally. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, of those five, it's kind of like, for a long time, it was just two of us every day, and then now it's been uh, three of us every day for a while. And, right, so um, particular attention has been highlighted for the Nintendo Switch version. So Sorry, say that again? Um, the Nintendo Switch version seems to be getting the most attention right now. Yeah, totally. Now, like, um, I, like, I, that's how I came to know the game, like, from Nintendo's promotion right. of it. And I'm wondering, um, how did you get in, con um, like, in contact with Nintendo? Or totally. did they get in contact with you? Uh, so we reached out to them, um, it was like last summer, um, something like that. This was before, this is before the Switch was announced. This was before even the rumor mill started kicking up and we reached out to them because we wanted to have the game on Wii U um, because it's a colorful game and it's a hard game and that to us is kind of like a very Nintendo combination. And so we thought that it would feel really at home on one of their platforms. Um, 
and so yeah we reached out we're like hey can we put this on the wii u like we'd love to have this game on this platform because we think it would fit really well and they were like well how about we like how about you hold on a little bit let's keep talking and um then you know around late summer early fall like that's when things started picking up it was like oh there's going to be a new nintendo console and it's called the nx and uh you know and then we slowly started just keeping in touch with them and talking and eventually they were like yeah like you know we'd like to have this on the switch and it just worked out you know it was kind of like very painful that this game took so long but in the end it really worked out because you know it gets to be on this console where we feel like it really feels at home um and so that's been really exciting for us. Hmm, no doubt, uh, no doubt. And um, was it a quick process to bring the game to the Switch? Yeah, we use uh, Unity. Uh, so it's been, you know, most of the heavy lifting is done by all the great people at Nintendo and Unity kind of working together to make sure everything kind of, you know, works. And luckily, Tumble Seed is a relatively uh, small game in the sense of engine features used you know it's 2d uh, we're not doing any kind of crazy rendering you know we have we have some shaders but compared to a lot of games not that many that are using crazy techniques or anything like that uh, so the actual kind of porting process uh, was made relatively painless by nintendo and unity which you know we're incredibly thankful for oh indeed uh, especially um as I recall, um, Unity on the Wii U didn't really play well together. To be honest, I never really, I, I never actually owned a Wii U, um, and so I never really got to experience, you know, what that uh, experience was like. But so I can't speak to that. But yeah, on Switch, it seems to be, you know, pretty great in terms of letting developers get their games on there. Well, this is based on off of other developers we've talked to. Oh, okay. Have who have worked on the Wii U, uh, they they definitely mentioned difficulties mm -hmm. in bringing um, Unity games to the um, platform. So yeah. it's really good to hear that they've worked that out. Totally. And I know uh, the Switch also handles um, Unreal Engine 4 pretty good. Yeah. Like, um, Snake Pass uh, apparently was um, ported like in a few days. Wow. Yeah. Um, but that's good to hear. Now, uh, does the uh, we uh, Switch version of Tumble Seed take advantage of the unique features of the Nintendo Switch? Yeah. So we have uh, the the big one that we take advantage of is HD Rumble. Uh, so as the seed kind of rolls back and forth on the vine, you can actually feel the rumble kind of go from side to side, and that's also I think. The reason why Nintendo was kind of excited and interested to have the game on their platform is because, you know, when you add something to a console like that, I think this is something that kind of like immediately comes to mind as a thing that, you know, has a very tactile feeling to it. And so we basically use the HD Rumble to, uh, yeah, show the player where the seed is. And then there's also different Rumble textures based on which seed you're, you currently have equipped. So the uh, heart seed, for example, has kind of more like a, a loping, lub-dub roll feeling to it. Uh, some of the other seeds have a smoother feel. Some of them have a coarser feel. Um, and so it really kind of adds like the sixth sense to playing the game and actually conveys some extra information of like, you know, where's the seed on the vine. And um when did you get access to the HD Rumble feature? Because um, not a lot of games have really taken advantage of it so far. Yeah, I'm not sure how into detail I can go on that, but you know, it's been something that I 
think they, when they originally reached out to us, it was something that they always kind of, you know, uh, had in mind for the game. And so with us, it's been kind of, you know, they've mentioned it relatively early on. And um, I think it's also a thing that is very hard to know what it's going to be like. Um, and even for us, like, you know, it, it was a very long time before we ever got to play 1-2-Switch, uh, which kind of has, like, the most primo, or that I've experienced or heard uh, HD Rumble experience. So even, like, we didn't really know what was fully possible. And so we had, like, our own implementation of it. And then we got to play 1-2-Switch, and we're like, oh, whoa, like, this is, like, they're doing even crazier stuff than we are. And so... Yeah, that's that game is basically the tech demo for what HD Rumbo is capable of. Yeah, and so it was, like, this funny thing, you know, where we're kind of figuring, put it, putting it, piecing it together on our end without ever having played, like, a Nintendo game that had uh, made it. Um, so I think, you know, it's also a thing that is, you know, it's a new technology, and I think we're very lucky in that the game kind of very naturally makes sense in how you would use HD Rumble, whereas for a lot of other games, I'm not sure that it's as clear, like, you know, how would we incorporate this in a way that feels natural and makes sense, and so um, I think that would be my guess as to why uh, our game uses it. It's definitely possible. I mean, I, I suppose that's a... Um thing that only Nintendo themselves could answer. Mm-hmm. Um, now, does the game also use motion controls? Uh, no, we stick to dual stick um, across all platforms. Uh, it's a thing where we tried out all these different control schemes, but in the end, dual stick is the thing that's kind of like, you know, it's it also doesn't quite line up with the control mechanism fully, where, you know, big movement... Uh, motion is holding both sticks up at the same time and having uh, an analog for that in uh you know motion controls doesn't quite work and there's different things we tried one where you kind of like tilt forward but then you kind of have this weird swimming motion where you're trying to go up and so in the end it was like you know we had to go with what was best for the game and that was dual stick that makes sense i mean uh nobody wants to return to the wii era of like you know hey, we got to force our motion controls into the game just because. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like that, you know, I won't say it never worked out, um, but it was more often than not intrusive and clunky. I would say for a game like this especially, that would be infuriating because of how precise controls they demand. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, the DS forced touchscreen control in a lot of games, too, because they wanted to try to include the gimmick, and it's better to know when not to. Yeah. I think. Yeah, especially if your game isn't really built for it. Like, Tumble, like, Tumble Seed here is a multi-platform release. Like... Yeah, like, Tumble you know Seed, if you, if you wanted to do touch controls in a game like this, you would have to do much different setup of the levels yeah and that was also a big thing that you know was one of the things that we took so long to figure out was like you know what is what is the layout that works how does that combine with controls all how do all these things work together to make it feel like a holistic whole so um shifting to music and sound uh, uh, our viewers and listeners can't actually hear the game because um uh you know we're talking over. <laughs> yeah. But, um, what, what kind of music did you uh, go for in this uh, game? Um, 
the biggest piece was that we wanted to work with uh, Joel, who ended up doing the sound and music. Um, he's local to Chicago, where all of us were at the time, and um, we just loved his music and we thought it would fit really well. And a lot of it was, and a lot of what we kind of ended up with was like him working through like, okay, what is this world and what does this world sound like? And so we didn't really have a conception of what we wanted the world to sound like besides that we fully trusted Joel to kind of figure that out and deliver something that works and, you know, makes this world come alive. Um, and as for him or what he's kind of talked about in the past, um, I don't want to speak for him, but his general thing was kind of like having everything kind of be very organic. There's a lot of kind of crunching sounds and kind of very naturey sounds. I know that he went out into the, like the woods with his kids and they gathered some acorns and pine cones and sticks and did a lot of like mic recordings of all those different things, bouncing off rocks and breaking sticks and kind of incorporating all of that to kind of give it its kind of uh, earthy, the earthy tone that the game has. Hmm. Makes sense. I'm sure the, the Foley work was pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And um, so, how does it feel to know that this game is coming out um, in a few short days? Um, it's very hard to believe. Um, I'm not sure. It hasn't quite fully registered uh, with me. Um, you know, when you do something for so long, and you work so intently on it, and so hard on it, and... Um, you know, and this game also was just extremely hard to make just because it is so different and we had to figure out so many design things and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a game that very easily could not have happened. Like there were some core gameplay things that we figured out, um, and had we, you know, taken a few months longer to figure them out, I, I'm not sure that the game would have ended up being made just because, you know, we would have believed that there was a game here that was good, but we would have just chalked it up to not having enough time to find it and who knows and you know it's one of those things where you're kind of like staring down this design and you're like okay like there's probably a good game here i don't know you know it's findable but the question is how long will it take and at that point we had been working on it for probably a year and a half and it was like okay uh you know this could be a thing where it just takes five years for someone for anyone to be able to find a design in this game that works um so yeah, it uh, it's very surreal when something feels like it got very close to not happening to then you know actually be finished and actually be so close to coming out. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a mixture of exciting and terrifying and uh, yeah, all the things that come with any kind of like big event. <laughs> and um, do you have any? post-release plans for Tumbleseed? Um, no, not yet. Um, we, you know, there will definitely be lots of bug fixing and all that stuff. And, uh, but a lot of it will come down to, you know, you know, how does it do? What are we, how do we feel about it? How do we feel after finally taking a vacation for a bit? And, um, you know, we're right now we're just so focused on finishing it and getting it out there that, uh, I, I really haven't put a ton of thought or a lot of deep thought into what we'll do next, or you know. So no, no, no second campaign DLC plans yet. <laughs> no, not yet. Yeah. Well, uh, I suppose uh, another question is: um, Is there just a story mode uh, campaign uh, type deal, or are there like extra modes, like say time attack? 
so this is what you're playing right now is what we call the adventure mode. That's kind of the main mode of the game. Uh, the, ma the other mode that we do offer is a daily challenge mode, kind of like the classic, you know, everyone has the same seed and everyone kind of gets a chance to compete against their friends uh, in seeing how high they can go. But yeah, it's just those two modes are the uh, core experience of the game. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds fair for initial release, but totally. Yeah, it's like I definitely could see like a um, speed mode or a, you know, yeah, and the th the, the thing about how we calculate scores is that you know first comes height, but after that speed is taken into account, and so uh, you know amongst the developers like me and Greg, uh, a lot of it now is like trying to do speed runs to uh, see who can get to the top first and kind of get to the top of the leaderboard like that. Hmm. Sounds interesting. All right, um, so. I think about done on my questions. Um, anyone does anyone else have any further questions? I think everything I was going to ask has been asked. Same. Uh, do, does that daily challenge thing? Is there still an end, or is that an infinite survival thing? Uh, there's an end. Yep. So every time you play, it's uh, going from the bottom to the top, and if you make it to the top, then that's the end. Uh, so yeah, it's a, there's a very concrete beginning and a very concrete end to every run in the game. Hmm. Right. Um, anything else, Galix? Uh, no, that was most of it. I I mean I've seen this. Um, I've seen some footage of it, so I have had some things answered from that, and I do recommend to people to try to find some footage of this game being played because it's not exactly what it seems like it would be. <laughs> well, if you're in our Twitch chat, you've already seen it. Yeah. You're yeah. welcome. Yeah. If you, yeah, if you're watching our Twi Twitch version or YouTube version, you'll be able to see the game. Yeah, yeah. Or... My, my initial expectation of this game was a much more small puzzle-based experience rather than... It, it seems much more fleshed out than I expected, so that's a nice uh, I, difference from... I will well, add thanks. the yeah, gameplay wasn't good, but it was gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, uh, well, you're, not gonna get, you're not going to get expert play before the game's even actually out. True. Yeah. We do have yeah. some alpha, uh, some people who are in our alpha, and they'll sometimes stream on Twitch, and uh, you can see what some expert play is like. Um, yeah, I was looking another, at the leaderboard another... before we went live, and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> another uh, great video is uh, Northern Lion made a great uh, video about about the alpha, kind of explaining the game, uh, kind of walking through it. Um, you can find that on YouTube, and that's that's a video that a lot of people watch and be like, oh, like, I get this. Like, there's, some, there's a lot of depth here, and there's a lot of interesting things here, and, you know, there's a lot to chew on. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah. Anyway, the game is Tumbleseed. It's coming out uh, next Tuesday um, for um, how much is it uh, going to be? Fourteen ninety nine. Same price on all the platforms? Yep, all platforms. Mm -hmm. And it's coming to the Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, and um, PC and Mac. Yep, you got it. Um, I suppose my final question is, uh, any plans for a Linux version? Uh, again, it's another thing we're kind of holding off, and we have all the platforms that we can deal with right now. So, uh, again, okay, don't have anything against Linux. I used it a lot in college, and I actually really like it. But uh, it's one of those things that we kind of have to, have to play by ear. 
Of course. All right. Um, so, Benedict, uh, we thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us today. Sure thing. You know, it's like, um, you know, certainly looking forward to the game's release, and hopefully it'll be successful. And, um, you know, good luck on getting some rest after it's released. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I'm about to go back to writing some more emails over here. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, Petty Fan, play us to the next segment. All right, welcome to the topic of discussion. So this week's uh, topic has actually changed a number of times, um, workshopped some ideas. It was going to be the 3DO until today. <laughs> Because like, today they announced a thing. Well, actually, yesterday they announced it. And honestly, it's actually kind of tied into the 3DO. Um, mm -hmm. Not directly. Well, it, it got a 3DO version, but that's not the version that everyone knows. <laughs> like, and what I'm talking about, what we're talking about this week is Night Trap. Because uh, Sony had to resurrect it from its grave. I believe it's also coming to other platforms, but the PlayStation 4 version got the most play because not only did Sony host the trailer, but uh, Limited Run Games um, is actually doing a special um, box, or actually two boxes. Oh my god, um, a boxed edition? Um, yep. Yeah, two, yeah, mm -hmm. two boxes. It comes in two flavors, uh, mirroring mirroring the original Sega CD release and also the Sega CD 32X release. Oh, so, God, I forgot I had a third th CD 32X version. Uh, yes. Pretty sure a lot of people did. Um, well, Limited Run Games didn't, which is why they got the blue box and that's why they got the yellow box in the um, colors. Um, no official logos because it's not a, you know... It's not an actual, like, Sega CD release or anything yeah. like that. But, you know, it's about as close as you uh, you uh, you can get without, like, getting the actual Sega branding on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so... And people were, like, legitimately surprised that Night Trap um, it came back for its 25th anniversary. I might be one of the few people who's who, who is not... Especially in, you know, today's age of, you know, old games coming back in one form or another. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, hell, this, Full this Throttle literally that, just got released. Yeah, it's like Voodoo Vince got re-released. Like, I don't think, like, I don't think anyone was literally, uh, was expecting that one to get revived. But the thing about Night Trap is, uh, you know, I think people, you know, People focus so much on its reputation so much as, you know, being, like, you know, kind of the symbol of the FMV era. Mm -hmm. um, that they kind of lose perspective and fail to understand that, I'm um, like, Night Trap is culturally, um, historically significant. Like, far beyond... A lot of games. Mm -hmm. You know, 
because now we've talked about that context before, but you know we kind of do have to bring it up again because you really can't separate Night Trap from it. Because if you know, it's like if you this know. This is Night why there's this is why there's a universal setting of video game ratings, basically. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like if you know Night Trap, you either know um, the goofy shittiness of the FMV uh, footage or you know the controversy is stirred up mm -hmm. you know I mean, and probably both really but yeah you, you or you, yeah so or you know both yeah. like the thing you probably don't actually know is the actual gameplay of the game yeah but we'll get to that in a bit because you know as Galix mentioned this game, along with Mortal Kombat, pretty much created the ESRB. Yeah, it was called right. out literally by name in the hearings that led to the ESRB. Right. It was like uh, the major focal points. Um, you know, kind with... of funny that it's getting a teen rating, but <laughs> kind of. But I'm like. That well, sta standards have changed, and also the original ratings description, or the controversy of the game, was partially because the description of it was a little bit misleading. Well, it, it's also because, you know, it got an M rating purely for pe uh, political reasons, or an MA-17 at the time. Um, we were talking about this the other day, but before the ESRB was a thing, um, Sega had their own rating system called the Video Rating Council. Which only worked for Sega, and that wasn't good enough. Like the ultimate, um, the ultimate thing that came out of the hearings was the ESRB. That's because the people who led it uh, basically gave the industry an ultimatum: self-regulate or we'll regulate for you. It was a much different time, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. because you know. Um, Night Trap getting a teen rating, that's the rating that it always should have gotten. Because in terms of content, it's a PG-13 game. Right. Yeah. You know, it's a PG-13 movie. It know? definitely comes off like one of those old... I mean, I want to say like Porky's, but the more PG-13-ish version of it. Right, but, um, you know... Independent of that, um, like and there's then no vampires video. show up part way through, but that's yeah. another thing. Yeah, it's like, but you know, th there's no nudity, there's no gore, there's no blood. You know, there's nothing really M-rated about it. There's a lot of uh, uh, just off-screen potential teenage girls dying, but that's only if you're really bad at the game. And the game ends after you lose one uh, person, so... Yeah. Yeah. It's like... a, this is definitely one of the cases of they kind of... It's just pretty much a witch hunt, because they misrepresented the entire thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, in terms of content, I, I would say that there was definitely a stronger case for, say, Mortal Kombat. You know, oh, mm -hmm. Mortal Kombat was definitely the M-rated... One considering Sub Zero's ripped swine thing, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and you know if you want the third game that came up, it was actually Lethal Enforcers. Like, you know, I've heard about this one, but I think that fell by the wayside, and all things considered. Yeah, 
I'm not exactly sure, but like, uh, I, uh, you know, like Howard Lincoln actually brought up like lethal enforcers and how they centered it on their system, that, you know, the Super NES. And well, I think that was because he was trying to take a shot at Sega for Nintendo's sake. So basically, I mean, I often see like Doom cited, but I don't think Doom ever actually came up in the hearings. Like, and um, if I'm remembering my timeline, that, that's because. Doom came out a year after. Like, Doom came out about the time the ESRB was actually being formed. Yeah, I don't think it was officially out yet, because I have, I think I have a copy of, like, an old copy of Doom that doesn't have an ESRB rating on it yet. So the ESRB wasn't made yet, but I think it was just after the hearings. Yeah. Well, it's also important to remember that it took a while for the ESRB to proliferate, Mm -hmm. especially since, like, when Doom initially came out, um, it was shareware. You, you didn't get ESRB ratings on shareware. Yeah, you still don't. No, but uh, I'm like, eventually you got this like um, ratings meter. Um, like Rise of the Triad had it. Mm-hmm. No, but yeah. So um, this is the context that um, Night Trap came out in. You know, um, and. Uh, it's certainly something that's head scratching, you know, even back then, but even, t- you know, so much so uh, today, given, you know, how violent and, you know, sexually charged games are today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, you know, I've mentioned this, why this is the case back in our ESRB retrospective, but. Um, once again, that was a while ago, so it bears repeating. Um, it's because, uh, honestly, games were growing up. At, you know, it's like gaming um, in the early 90s was entering the awkward teenage phase. You know, and it was starting to get seeped into 90s culture, which was, um, you know, you can... You know, everything from, like, Sonic to, um, bubble tape. Like, there there was this, um, undercurrent of rebellion going on at the time. And so, so what you're saying is this game is rated M for bubble tape. No, what I'm saying is... I'm kidding. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is, um... Gaming in the late 80s was considered to be the domain of, you know, children, particularly boys. Like, and, you know, when the Sega Genesis came out, they were uh, becoming teenagers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, teenagers tend to gravitate towards the edgy shit. Uh (laughs) This is why Tokyo Ghoul is on Toonami. You know, it, you know, it, it's something that's, you know, quote unquote adult, you know, and mature and so on it's and got so forth. blood yeah. and swears and nudity and that's a shit that adults like, right? Yeah. Right when it's still learning the truth. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, obviously, you know, Night Trap isn't that, but in terms of, you know, Comparing it to, say, Mario or even Sonic, 
you know, yeah, it, it's so much edgier than your mascot platformers and such. Mm-hmm. And this is coupled along with the moral, pa- like the moral panic of the age. Ah, uh, yes, moral the moral panic. panic, the worst thing ever. Yeah, I, I'm like the '90s, um, the early '90s, like really all throughout the '90s. Um, moral guardians lost their, you know, so-called moral guardians lost their shit about what children were watching and engaging in. I'm like. Um, really not seen since, like, the D&D scare of the 80s. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know. And if you want to know why this, like, I'm not exactly sure what, what was going on with the D&D stuff, but I do know what was going on with the, in the 90s. It's because Bill Clinton got elected to the presidency. Uh-huh. It, you know. Um... And so Republicans didn't have control of the White House anymore. And, you know, the, re- you know, the religious right, well, well, like Reagan and Bush Sr. weren't, you know, like Christian conservatives. They were still seen as an ally to the, you know, allies to the movement. And, you know, everything felt safe with them in office. But you know, as soon as you get a dam in the uh, in the White House, you know everything goes to sh- you know shit in their minds. Oh, that yeah. tricky dick. What about? Yeah, Carter? I know that was Nixon's name. I know what I said. Yeah, it's like, it's, yeah. So yeah, this thing isn't new. It, it, you know, it's just like. I don't think we've really seen a moral panic like this since perhaps the 2000s. You know, wardrobe malfunction and all that stuff, but, you know, and, you know, there are still moral outrages that go on in the world, but nothing like like we saw in the 90s. Like, you know, fucking, you know, we've got Senate hearings on video games going on and, you know, how they're destroying the minds of children. It's like, could you honestly see that, you know, today or even you know, some years ago? You know, the answer is probably not, because video games are so much more established now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, back in, the, uh, back in the early 90s, you know, video games were new. Video games were, you know, children's toys, and all of a sudden, you know... Billy's children's toy is saying fuck? Yeah, well, well, they're being corrupted. Yeah. You know, also, um, but I will say not all of the, um, controversy came from the right, believe it or not. You know, you know, if you want to know where it came from the left, well, you know, women's groups, you know, it's like, and no, this isn't me blaming feminism or anything. It's like, if you actually watch the Senate hearings, they, like, um, they have uh, representatives from women's groups decrying Night Trap um, for being sexist. Which it kind of is, like, I'm not like, that bad. I mean, it is about, like, monsters uh, victimizing a group of young women for because they're there. I'm like, 
it's a, this is a much thornier issue, I'd say. Like, um, you know, uh, especially given modern times and you know, in relations uh, with the fairer sex and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, they thought that Night Trap once again was going to um, set a bad example. And lead, you know, lead, you know, boys when they grow up to mistreat women. Which would make way more sense if you, if, as was portrayed in some of the Senate hearings, you were playing as the bad guys in this game. Yeah, I mean, the logic is debatable, but yeah, it's like... I mean, remember, ultimately, you are playing as a special agent of some description who is trying to protect people from... The, I forget the name of the stupid monsters that are basically vampires. Yeah, let's just call them vampires because they're vampires. Yeah. yeah. Like, but yeah, it, it's yeah. It, it, I think that's another thing that got misconstrued. Is you know you're not playing as the vampires. You're not trying to to kill the um girls. You're you're supposed to protect them. Yeah. In, this is. It's a game in which, like, violence towards women happens, but you're not the one who's doing it. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the, you know, the perceived misogyny in this game, you know, um, that would kind of speak towards, you know, misogyny in horror movies in general and so forth. And believe me, that's a that's actually a complicated issue. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you might not think it, but uh, I'm like, the, uh, I'm like, like for example, there are a lot of films, there are a lot of feminists out there that say horror movies are empowering. Like, it, it should be noted that feminism is a, is like many things, not a monolith. Oh yeah, you know, so you know, as far as uh, as far as Night Trap being misogynistic, I'm like, yeah, I could see it, but I'm like, it's so tame, uh, you know, especially especially, especially to- nowadays. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, nobody, n- nobody really singles Night Trap out for like bad influences or you know, being sexist or whatever, it's, you know, um, it's one of gaming's few true camp classics. You know, if people, like, you know, if people are buying the game um, for its 25th anniversary, why it's persisted for 25 years, part of it is it's you know, historical significance. But, the you know, the part that everyone focuses on is the fact that it's, you know... It's as campy as any horror movie. Yeah, it's like, if this were... Like, if this were a pure movie, it probably would have ended up on MST3K at some point. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is perfect fodder for that. You know, yeah. 
I'm pretty sure if they ever decided to do a Let's Play series, this would be number one on the list. No. And that's kind of where the, where it being an FN... Like, Jim Sterling was actually talking about the game, um, I think, today. And he made some good points. Like, you know, the fact that it, you know, it's not actually a movie, but, you know, you can watch it like a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, especially all of the video footage. Which is most of what the game is. Right, most, but not actually all of it. In fact, um, in terms of gameplay, see, you're actually not supposed to be watching the movie footage. Oh, yeah, you're, act- supposed to, you're supposed to be uh, keeping track of where all the things are and activating the traps and stuff. Yeah, like, like, like watching the night trap opening is actually, well, a trap. Like, um, to distract you from the vampires that are running around. You know, yeah. What you're supposed to be doing is, yeah, you're, um, you, you know, you're basically in a truck monitoring the situation, as it were, and you're looking for the vampires. And, you know, because this is all FMV, it operates on, you know, um, Dragon's Lair quick time events logic. You know, you got to press the button at the right time in order to activate the convoluted tubes that suck the vampires into a pit or something. Yeah. It's been a while it, since it, any of us have played Night Trap. That's the best kind of trap. The kind with tubes and pits. Like, and as I understand it, it's actually really hard to beat the game. Especially to get the best ending. You have to, like, know what you're doing in advance, I think. Right, but I think, but I think this is the kind of game that can actually be memorized because you know it, it's always the same, mm-hmm. you know, because it's you know literally made cobbled out of movie footage, you know, every playthrough is going to be the same. Yeah, you can't exactly have a procedurally generated night trap. Yeah, it's although like, that would be, I mean, kind of cool for, yeah, and not this, not like the remake, but like a new game of. Yeah. A similar and, genre where you're trying to save things by security footage. Yeah. And as somebody who's actually played Night Trap, um, it's tedious and infuriating, but I'll be honest, it's not the worst um, FMV game I've ever played. <laughs> no, that, like, 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 personally, that goes to fucking Sewer Shark. Fuck that yeah, game. Yeah, and for an F- FMV game, tedious and uh, infuriating are really not a very unreasonable bar. A lot of them are that. Yeah. See, this is what makes... But this is what makes FMV games so much more charming in their campiness and their shittiness than, say, Superman 64. Or, you know, any of the great, terrible games that are just, you know, polygons or sprites or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you have to actually play them. And outside of that, like, watching somebody play Super Six, Superman 64 or Big Rigs Over the Road Racing or, you know, Sonic 2006 isn't very interesting without some very good commentary. You know, yeah, I've actually tried to play Sonic 2006. would not recommend. Yeah. <laughs> Night Trap, you don't have to fucking play. Night Trap, you can make fun on your of it on your own. I think there's actually a movie cut put on YouTube. There, yeah, there is. Like, um, uh, the Cinema Snob 
reviewed it um, uh, some time ago. Like in, we're talking years here. But yeah, it, it, you know, there is an actual movie cut. Uh, you know, with all the footage. Mm. Well, and, relevant footage, but yeah. You know, and you know, the, and I, these two forces, I think, combine, and especially since it's been twenty, yeah, it's been twenty-five years since Night Trap has come out. Although the actual uh, the actual um, Night Trap footage is even older, like it dates back to I think nineteen eighty-seven, I think. Because Night Trap was actually supposed to come out for this, uh, like I think it was supposed to be like a VCR game. Mm. Or, God, remember oh, those? Wow. That those those are those yeah. are a thing. That's we should probably talk about at some point too. Yeah. Those yeah. are what has been has been being a thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, but I'm not sure if you could call video um, or, um, VHS games video games they were more um because they were mostly used in conjunction with board games yeah 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 they're and board that, games where part of your instructions come via video right and you know board games kind of fall out of the purview of this show but uh, i suppose that's a debate for another time but yeah so yeah so, uh, yeah, Night Trap was recorded over a three-week period in 1987 and was originally developed for the Hasbro Control Vision, which was a VHS um, console thing. Console thing, yeah, that's that's descriptive. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing: it never got, it never actually got released, mm. which is why Night Trap. Um, Oh geez, really developed for a system that never got released. That sure is a rigging endorsement of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. N yeah. Night Trap basically sat on the shelf for four years or so, maybe five. Um, just waiting for, you know, something to come along because the the, the thing that it was um prepared for never became a thing and that kind of you know that kind of uh, that kind of connects to where the 3do comes in but not specifically the 3do but the sega cd now because night trap was chosen for the release on the sega cd um you know as a cross-section of being one of the only things that could uh you know is because Sega was looking for stuff that would show off the power of the Sega CD. And, you know, Night Trap is arguably the game that kicked off the uh, the entire FMV. I hesitate to use the word craze, but... Trend. FMV, yeah, trend. Crazes are usually more popular than... Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, they certainly, tr they certainly tried to make FMV a thing... For a good number of years there, uh, until about I think the introduction of the thirty, uh, the PlayStation and the Saturn, like, you know, like the the Saturn saw a few uh, FMV games I believe, but the like the PlayStation, um, um really kind of cut down on that. Yeah, it had some, but it, they started to try and phase them out because they were crap. Yeah, it's like I think. 
you know, the, the trend definitely uh, persisted a, a bit more on PC, um, where there were other genres than the interactive movie. Yeah, and, you know, the shitty FMV shooter. Um, there are? Well, adventure games. Ah, yes. You can yeah. put those on almost anything. And that's and that's why we're getting this re-release um, of Night Trap, and not say you know, a Night Sword Trap, Summer, oh, you know, yeah. or um, Double Switch, or any of the other you know, Corpse Killer, you know, just things you've probably never heard of or don't remember. Yeah, it's like you know, Tomcat Alley. PTSD has made you block out. <laughs> yeah, it's like well, not necessarily. It's just you know. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have the infamy that Night Trap did, mm -hmm. you know, at least in terms of, you know, um, reputation. Uh, like I said, they're certainly worse, like um, the fucking make my video games. I use the word game very loosely. You probably, like... If you know these things, you probably know it from uh, Spoonie's uh, FMV Hell series. Mm -hmm. Like, back when he used to make videos. Um, he but, did do that once. Yeah. I, I mean, and there's all, there's a, there's actually a fair amount of these uh, littered all over the landscape of the um, early 90s tech. You know, because for one bright, shining spark of a moment, it was believed that literal interactive movies were going to be the future. Then they realized how many angles you have to film everything from and how many different possibilities you need. And they said, you know what? Maybe less. Yeah. It, it's like, and, you know, also eventually technology got better. Um, in terms of, like, rendering and shit. Now, so, yeah. Th that is the history and the notoriety of Night Trap. Um, any final thoughts on it? Um, it's a thing that's coming back. <laughs> Nice place in gaming history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I doubt this. It's much of a fun game, but it's definitely an important game. Yeah, I'll be honest. Like I don't really have any interest in actually purchasing it. Yeah, it looks like, like it's only coming out for PS4 anyway. So. That's a thing, I guess. Yeah, uh, I'm like. I'm sure, you know, the nostalgic and the collectors will pick it up. Mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, you know, my personal recommendation, um, like, watch it, on, you know, watch it on YouTube or, you know, watch the 25th anniversary footage because um, while it's not been uh, brought up to HD levels, uh, having actually seen the, uh, the PlayStation 4 footage, um, it's the best footage I've ever seen. Yeah, because we're not compressing it to fit on a CD. Right. It's, um, because remember, this 
this was made for um, VHS. You know, so uh, it has 640 by 480 resolution, I believe. But I'm like, and it was sh uh, shot on 32 millimeter film. Like, so that's, uh, you know, that's why, that's why it looks very noticeably better in the PlayStation 4 version than um, not just the Sega CD version, which honestly looked like ass even back then. Yeah. Um, not like, and that has a lot to do, not just like with the power of the um, Sega CD, but the fucking color palette. Like, God damn that fucking Sega Genesis color palette. Yeah, the, like, the color... Four. Like uh, this or yeah. Like, that. <laughs> yeah, like, like, even the um, Sega CD32X version looks better yeah. just because it had the expanded color palettes. It didn't look washed out uh, to fucking back. So it looked kind of like, pixely, but that's what you were going to get because of you know, yeah. CD. Right. It, it it's like. It looks uh, comparable to the 3DO version. They actually had, like, a comparison picture of all the different versions. And, you know, it's like the the the, the Sega CD32X and the um, 3DO versions look pretty much um, identical. I, I think the, the, the 3DO had better color balancing. But um, it outside of that, it, it was pretty much the same but i'm like yeah it's like I, you know the sega cd footage was terrible you now it's like you thought that even like back in the day it didn't look too good mm -hmm. so, but yeah um so that's night trap um and indeed that is this installment of fragments of silicon uh be sure to tune in not too much longer from now, where where we have an MS, you know, an episode of MSP. Um, no idea what we're doing for that show. Like, how's our next week looking? Um, in terms of MSP or this show? This show. Um, well, first, um, up on Sunday we got, well, uh, we got the review of Planescape Torment Enhanced Edition. I'm like, you know, it's like in terms of review so far, I could actually, I could actually sum it up pretty simply with a sentence. Um, it's basically Planescape Torment, um, brought to, um, brought to modern sa uh, standards without the use of mods. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. But in terms of like, you know, the actual game and all that stuff, well. Um, I could talk about that for a good hour, hour and a half, and not be done. Yeah, there's a lot going on with Planescape Torment. Like, it's considered to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, RPG of all time. So, you know, that's a statement that's uh, got a lot of quantification behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, anyway, so next week, um, we only have one interview. Like, even if we had... Like, I have something to do on Tuesday um, that would prevent that. But on Wednesday, 
uh, May 3rd, we will be having back for, I believe, his sixth interview on the program. John, And that's a free sub. Yeah. Um, yeah. John Pickett of Manga Gamer. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, the recently re-released, uh, the recently released uh, visual novel Shadows of Pygmalion. Um, he wanted to know if we were going to go um, focus on that or a more general focus. Probably it's going to be focusing more on that. Haven't made a final determination because, you know, had this week's interview. Yeah. So, um, that's what's happening next week. So, be sure to join us, well, in about a half an hour for MSP. And I guess you could fit some gaming in that. Like, but, you know, until next time, good gaming and all.